coming up on Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat. World Cup 2019, even before the World Cup, like we'd have had tough enough conversations still happening, you know, and I think at that point we thought, all right, well, we need to get to the bottom of some of these. And, and we got some great performance coaches or psychologists in to really delve into talking about more open conversations rather than just fluffy bits. I think we gave each other the opportunity to, to get stuck into each other a little bit more and be more open and get some stuff off the chest. And then I think off the back of that, that's when I thought there was real growth. Delighted you could join us today. We have George Cruz on the show to talk everything high performance, business, and culture. Big thanks to 4 or 5, the sponsor of today's show. Their mission is simple. They want people to lead healthier, happier lives through the power of vitamin supplements and CBD. You can check them out at 4or5.com. Welcome to Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat with your hosts, David Clancy and Kieran Dunn. This is a podcast about high performance. What we are striving to achieve is to figure out what makes high performing individuals tick, why they do what they do and why they are successful. Enjoy a journey of stories, lessons and learnings. Today we spoke with George Cruz, professional rugby player at Panasonic Wild Knights and co-founder of 4-5 UK. George Cruz made 185 appearances for Saracens, won three European titles and four premiership trophies, had 45 caps for England, including two World Cups, and toured and played with the British and Irish Lions in 2017. A second row with huge experience and pedigree, he's now playing in Japan. He co-founded 4-5 CBD with Dom Day on the basis of experience using CBD as a recovery agent after injury, but also to help with reducing anxiety and improving sleep. Today we speak about the difference in playing style in Japan versus England and what George brings to the team in Japan. We unpack the progression of Northern Hemisphere rugby in recent months and we dive into the team culture of Saracens Rugby Club, where George was hugely successful. The conversation moves to why rugby players seem to prepare for life after rugby well, and why it was CBD in particular that George went into. 4-5 is now partnered with teams like Saris and Leicester Tigers, and also in many major retail outlets. George Cruz, thanks very much for speaking to the two of us. How is life treating you these days? Good, thank you. Yeah, not too bad. In a slightly different place to maybe where I have been for the majority of my life. Um, I'm over in Japan at the moment, so I've had kind of a five-month off-season, and now I'm uh, I flew back about a couple of weeks ago, so just getting stuck into a bit of preseason. Five months. So what, what, what do you do <laughs> for five? Five. What do you do for five months? That's pretty unusual for you. Yeah, it is. It is mad. Like going from you know Saris, where you probably have. 11 months on one month off and you know you, you might be into a in, like an international tour or you, or you might have you know you might have saved some time for an operation or something like that so like going from that to having um yeah five months off is, is pretty mad um but yeah look, I've, I've got heaps of stuff with with the business bits and so on so uh yeah like, I've definitely filled my time I actually spent a couple months in in uh, Dublin as well which was which was pretty exciting what were you doing over here? Oh, bit, bit of this, bit of that. Um, <laughs> Not fit um, for the radio. <laughs> um, what was I doing? I was smartly positioning my tax position. I was. Uh, my brother has, for his sins, married a, a Dublin lady who is who is actually who's who's, who's an absolute golden uh, golden lady. Uh, so we've we've invested in the in the Irish, I guess, what family tree. Um, 
which is good. good. Uh, and they were over there for kind of six weeks as well. So, and also Dom, my business partner, lives in Ireland. So, um, yeah, just kind of doing a, doing a, a round trip of, of, of sorts. So Japan, different climate, different culture. What's been like the first few years, the first few months, getting used to that different culture, getting used to new people, your transition over there? Yeah, like, I think the first one, taking it back, I was after, I was definitely after a bit of a, like something different. You know, I'd grown up south of London. I lived north of London for, you know, 12, 30 years. And I was after something different. So yeah, it, it definitely didn't, it didn't disappoint in that sense. I think last year was, yeah, it was, it was interesting. Like it's just, it is so wildly different that like, you you know, it is everything's an eye opener. I like, I, I genuinely often think I'm on like the Truman show. I think it's like a lot, sometimes it's a little bit like that. You, you think, am I being filmed here? But, um, but no, it is, it's different. I think the, like the culture's different. The, the sort of, there's, there's, they're quite big into the, the hierarchy. Um, there's a there's like a thing called a senpai and a kohai, which is like your senior and your junior. So if, if someone's older, they're your senpai and, and, and so on. Uh, like that's that's quite a big thing. Um, I think, yeah, they're just they're just brought up very, you know, on a, on a different culture than say a lot of the, the, the Western world is. But but I think I think like the vast majority of it is is brilliant. I think they are very respectful, very like interested in you as well. I think they're, but there's just, there's not that many foreigners in Japan. I think they've got like a, you know, very small sort of expat community, you know, and there's not a lot of immigration back and forth. I think it's, you know, what, if you're Japanese, you, you tend to tend to stay there. So um, yeah, I think it's like, they, they definitely look at you as, uh, as as different uh, but I guess that's when you're blonde and maybe six five <laughs> six six and you probably are a little bit different probably going to stand out a little bit George um in terms of when you're when you're there what are the expectations of management players of yourself even on and off the pitch not necessarily of what, of what you think you'd bring but what do they think they're getting when they have you there as part of their team uh I guess like there probably is like an ex- experience sort of side of it. Um, I mean, looking at our, on our side, we, we do have a lot of very good Japanese experienced players. Uh, so it is, I'd say it'd be less so in, in our club. Um, I think probably the the fact that, you know, you've, you've maybe played in a different league, you've you've played internationally or so. So just trying to pick pick up on those sort of bits, I think would be the, the biggest thing. But like, you also have to re- represent yourself, you know, and... and as in your like your code of conduct and everything has to be uh, you have to buy into to what they to what they're doing you have to buy into their cultures as well you know you're you're expected to to at least try and learn the language and, and so on so yeah i think there's you can't go there and, and be an idiot anymore like they have they've progressed to a, a level which you know they they've got a very decent national team and and they've got a lot of decent coaches like you look at you know someone like Checker's gone over there recently. Like that's that they've picked up a lot of decent coaches. You know, Robbie Dean's at our uh, at our club. A lot of those ex like more consultant roles are now getting filled by someone like you know the the real best coaches knocking around. So there's an expectation, I guess, in terms of yeah the off field stuff just as much as there is on on the on field stuff. And what about fan recognition? You might not say it yourself, but your big name coming over Japanese league. They're trying to promote it. They're trying to get the best people in, like yourself. What's it like when you go to away games? Do people recognize you? What's that weight like on your shoulders when you're going out trying to represent your club? Uh, I think like 
I don't know. I'd, I'd say at Panasonic, we've we've got two battlers in terms of me and Hadley Park. So, but I think you look at like a Suntory and. You know, last year they had Bowden Barrett and so on. So clearly, like he's going to pick up a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of hype this side, especially like a lot of their, their the Japanese, I guess, fans would would be pretty um, knowledgeable around the like your New Zealand, your Australia, your your South Africa's, but maybe not your your Premierships and so on. But yeah, I think like for, for someone like a Bowden Barrett, clearly any any country he's going to be swamped. But uh, yeah, I'd imagine he would have got. Yeah, fair amount of, of press, I guess, and and sort of following and, and exposure to, to to they they do they do um, support very well as well. Like at the moment, last year it was only you were only allowed five thousand or so, but uh, because of COVID rules. But I think this this season it's looking like it should be fully open. And and the season before, like they were getting you know twenty twenty plus to to home games. So like there is a decent appetite for it and. I mean, the population is 128 million or so. So they've got a huge population. And I think it goes like baseball, basketball, maybe football and then rugby. So like there's a decent amount of, uh, you know, it's fairly high up the tree, but there's just a huge support support base. Having played in the Premiership, arguably the most competitive league, I suppose that with the top 14. Mm. Like what's it like in the, in the Japanese league? There's some, of course, we've heard of the teams and you see... We can remember all the stories, Sonny Bill going over, Gitto going over, all these guys. You're mentioning Robbie Deans, obviously, Crusaders, lots of history, really high pedigree. So what's the actual difference between the just the sense you get as a player from having played in, in England and then even Europe and then the Japanese league? Yeah, like it is you you do get the flavor that it is more you're like your your super rugby. Um so it's probably it's higher pace, higher scoring games. Uh, less about set piece and sort of like mauling each other to death. Um, I, think it, I think it is a bit more, you know, like their attitude is they want to play and they want to play and play. Uh, so they'll run before they they, they kick. Um, and I guess from a personal point of view, coming from a, a club which was Premiership based, pretty uh, we started our initial sort of ten year plan of being very much. Defense-driven, kick, you know, kick and chase, compete in the air, uh, maul them, set piece, scrum them. So I think like that transition has been has been very interesting and and like obviously clearly highly enjoyable as well. Like to you know to, to play a bit more has has been quite fun. But yeah, I think it, it is it is like I said more more in line with the sort of uh, southern hemisphere teams. Yeah, I, I think even the, the Northern Hemisphere teams are now starting to open up a bit more, especially with like the, the rule changes. Obviously, a lot of the games at the weekend and and, and the autumns have have shown that. But uh, but yeah, I think they're they're very much run first, which is which is quite nice. Just building on that, we've seen trio of four wins for Northern Hemisphere teams this weekend. Mm. Is there is there a shift happening that the style of play, the popularity for rugby up here, has increased? So we're starting to see the blossoming of that in terms of on the field they're not going into games as underdogs anymore maybe they're going in favorites to win like this this period here is always always an interesting one I, I think with sort of you know two years out from world cup teams are changing still uh there are like different sort of you know combinations being trialed different sort of game plans being tested like this is like you you kind of final stop to really figure out how you want to play for the next 18 months leading into a into a world cup so i think that has you know and, and like i said it's something like a rule change you know a few rule changes maybe say 
you know, six, 12 months ago, they're now starting to you know, people figure out how to play with those rule changes. Uh, I think that's like a big thing that's kind of now shaping how how teams play and therefore how they choose teams to play against them, you know, from from a selection point of view. So I think that has that has played a, played a, a big factor. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's obviously class for rugby that there's, you know, there is that competition. It's not so clear cut. You know, I think you see the top three or four teams exchanging hands for, you know, a, a fair chunk in the last year or so. I wouldn't say it's 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 set in stone like that uh, in terms of there's been a change, um, but you know they're at home as well. That the the crowd's been back and everything. It's you know it's, it, 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 there has been a lot of change, uh, and I think people are feeding off that change at the moment. There's a fellow called Owen Eastwood. He's a performance coach that uh, spent a lot of time at Quinns last year, and a lot of the work he does is, is kind of around belonging and kind of sense of lineage the history or part of the kind of cultural identity saracens a really successful team for such a long time mm. what was it about that you managed to keep so many of those key players like that sense of belonging for that club must have been so strong to help them perform on the pitch I, clearly there's the there's some of the off-field bits which uh, which have been sort of I guess pull, pulled apart a bit, but I think like when you strip a lot back, uh, they like they they did unbelievably well of making sure that the that everyone was kind of looked after from a uh, from a cultural point of view. I think you know people uh, felt like they were bought buying into something there. They they you know they, they bought into the the whole the whole building process of what was going on. Uh, I think. You know, it helps when there are different stages to that. So obviously, you know, like 10 years ago or so, it was very much like the first few years is about, you know, getting on the map, making sure that we've got, we're, you know, we're having that, building that good culture. So, you know, the, the trips and all that sort of side of it, that was all, all to do with sort of building, you know, a group that could stay together long enough uh, to then, you know, because I think if you get, if you get, I don't know, 15, 20 players transitioning every every year in and out of the club, then it's impossible to build anything. So I think we got to a point where, okay, we, we got a, select, a selection of players and we kept them there for, you know, three, four, five, you know, some going into 10, 12 years. So I think like the, the turnover was kept to a minimum. Uh, it allows players to, to grow, it allows coaches to grow as well. Uh, and, and off the back of that, I think, you know, if you especially if you get some competitive players, then that growth sort of, turns into you know people generally wanting to learn learn more about each other learn more about you know and playing better yeah I, I think that's I think the biggest thing was the way they built the culture off field through like just easy enough things to do like your your trips and simple stuff but uh, kind of just allow people to to stay there longer and off the back of that you know you, you can build stuff and then transition into country from club so myself and David will have spent a bit of time in London we've seen Harrow on the Hill we've seen these great places where schools develop these great stars when you bring them all together and you play as part of a national team how important is a proper culture how do you how do you embed that sense of being English and playing for your jersey as opposed to being from separate parts of the country that's a tough one like I think the culture one in international has to be like I think that's where like the, the coaches earn their sort of cash to to try and build a group, especially if they're from like 
you know, very distinctly different clubs. Uh, they play differently. Their attitudes are different. You know, I, I, I think that is one of the hardest things of how a coach can round that up. I think they get you get less cut through in terms of like, you know, if you try and do meals out, that sort of stuff. It, it, it's hard to convince people to, to, to like each other straight away or, or not like each other, but to, you know, really feel that culture. Uh, I think that is, again, something that's built over time. But yeah, I get that. How do you do it? Uh, it is about like setting in place standards and, and sort of, you know, smaller things like your no phones at the table type stuff where, you you know, you actually over time end up talking to people more and more and sort of trying to get a bit about them. But yeah, a lot of it has to be done through through winning, I think, as well and making sure that, you know, your 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 part, your journey is is part of it. So, you know, you, you can buy into that in terms of a cultural point of view if you know that you're progressing over time and, and, and improving. Uh, as a group, I think that's something that's that's very easy to buy into. Um, World Cup 2019, even before the before the World Cup, like we'd have had tough enough conversations still happening, you know. And I think at that point we thought, all right, well, we need to get to the bottom of some of these, and, and we got some great performance coaches or psychologists in to to really delve into, like you know, and, and talking about more open conversations rather than just you know fluffy bits. I think like we we gave each other the opportunity to. To, to, to get stuck into each other a little bit more and be be more open and get some stuff off the chest. And then I think off the back of that, like that, that's when I thought there was real growth, when when you could be a bit more open. And yeah, and like I said, off the back of that, there was a you know a good buzz going into that into that World Cup and we, you know, got to a final but didn't win the final. But there was definite growth in the in the off field bit, I think. 45 caps for England, a cap in Eden Park for the Lions. All those appearances for Saracens. What mm. was the what was what was it like at the start? What was when you first got that white jersey with the rose on it for England? What was that like? Um like like huge privilege and everything. I'd be less sentimental than maybe some others. I think like it's it is I think like the biggest thing for me was like the enjoyment on seeing like you, you know family and friends and all that sort of stuff there like whenever we go on tour that so say the New Zealand one there was I must have had 20 or maybe more um you know people going to watch the Lions and then the same the same amount probably for you know for the for the World Cup as well so like seeing that like the ability to like bring a load of people that you really care about together uh to go on like a almost a journey with you I found that the most rewarding. So like seeing my family, um, you know, enjoying it, I found that very rewarding. But yeah, I think like clearly that like you, you do, you really cherish the moments where like, you know, you win, you win some huge games and, you know, and all the experiences, the the nights out and so on that, that, that go with it. I think uh, I'm I, I quite more, I'm, I'm definitely more memory based. So I, I'll cherish those things more than just the number of caps or the, the more the, the milestones type stuff. I, I'll I'll cherish the ones that give me the best the best memories. I think. And you're talking about enjoying the moment, that taking them things and enjoying the celebrations, enjoying the wins, enjoying the losses. But there's always a thing about rugby that people admire. Players seem to have a natural avenue, or they always look to the future in terms of what they're going to do for themselves. They have a self awareness about business, about looking past the sport. You yourself have started a successful business at the moment. What's it been like? And was it always in your telescope to look at, I want to do something after rugby? 
Like definitely, I was more. So I didn't. I didn't do like the EDPGs, the sort of the academy stuff. I, I went straight from school, so I I was fairly focused on sort of studies as well. I, th- I enjoyed. I really enjoyed rugby. I played heaps of it in terms of like a you know your your school game on a on a Saturday, your club game on a Sunday. So I, I played lots of minutes, but I think for me it was it was more you know it wasn't really a a reality that it was going to happen um, until I got a trial at the end of well the end of end of school really and then went straight from there so I think for me I had always planned and always like thought I, I would be doing some bits in in terms of like degrees and, and and that so yeah I think along with you know Sarri's encouraged us to do that sort of stuff I think anyone under 24 had to do either a degree a trades course or something like that so I was definitely kind of nudged along as well to make sure that 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 happened but then I, I guess off the back of that yeah like I've always been I'd say active off off field, um, trying to make sure that I'm trying to do the, the the best I can, so that you know eventually someday I can live a, a very relaxed life rather than um, you know a, a hectic life. But yeah, I think for me it was yeah, it was definitely. I think I'd, I've always wanted to have something of of my own or or, or, or with someone uh, from a business point of view. I think the idea of maybe doing a straight standard sort of nine to five after doing pretty a grueling or or interesting career like a like a um like a rugby career would would be tough uh, especially with like you know the, the drop in sort of salary and so on i think like it's fine if if you're then working and building for something for yourself but i think if to then go into something which you know you might not have heaps of passion for on a lot lower salary that would be demotivating for me so i guess for me it's like like i said it's it's what sort of memories can i build and what sort of projects can I get stuck into and this is something that kind of came up three years ago and something that we kind of jumped in um, head first really. And why so much passion for this area so yourself and Dominic Day four or five great name um, why was why was that why was that what you wanted to dig into and explore and build as a business? Uh, like for us it kind of it, just, it was just like we'd sit next to each other um, in change rooms at Sarri's and um like we both got injured at two, we had an operation January 2018. Uh, I had one in February 2018. And then um, WADA took, which is a World Anti-Doping Association, took CBD, which is uh, cannabis oil, off the uh, off the banned substances list. And and off the back of that, like Dom got, Dom was like using it, uh, found it very beneficial. I then tried it, found it beneficial. So then off the back of that, we're like, okay, well, there's not heaps of stuff in the UK. Uh, it, it's all quite poorly like tested as well. So as athletes, you kind of want to make sure you're, you're taking, you know, the best stuff you can uh, in terms of a testing point of view as well. So I think we just saw, especially like what was happening in America and Canada, we saw a decent enough opportunity, but then also was something that we we're you know passionate about using and, and, and taking. So it kind of like fell hand in hand really, and and, and we, we started from there. But yeah, I, I think. Like if you start something small enough, early enough in your career, I think like uh, I think you can really get into it. And then off the back of that, like we're all quite competitive people uh, as athletes, so it kind of just grows and grows and grows. But I think once you, if you haven't started something and then you finish rugby, I think that's that's quite a hard thing to then go and do. So for us, it made perfect sense to to, to crack on at that moment in time. Given the environment. David and myself spent a bit of time in elite sport seeing athletes really 
give everything and all they do is try and be the best they can anything they can do to get the edge anything they can do to improve but they also have a level of skepticism about what they're taking what they're doing what training they're doing because it has to result in optimal performance how much do you feel cbd will be part of the rugby culture in the next few years it is already it definitely is already um I think that the biggest thing is is all, is all around testing and so on like that. I, I think look, p- people, p- a lot of companies will oversell CBD. I'm a big believer that it will just be like it will be a like your vitamin D3 or like your your supplements that most sort of athletes will be taking just to keep their their body topped up and it, and in peak condition. I think it will be like a regular supplement. Uh, I think that's where it stands. I think. For, for thousands of years, cannabis or, or hemp has been used, you know, in, in loads of different cultures. Uh, and only in the last sort of, I don't know, a couple hundred years, it's been sort of criminalized, I guess. And I think you're now seeing uh, a lot of people, whether it's medical cannabis or CBD uh, in a number of different countries, sort of changing their reg- regulations, um, you know, even even WADA and so on. They're, they're, lo- they're looking like they're starting to back out on on testing cannabis. That's from my, my perception. Uh, I think, you know, they, they've talked about it. They've increased the levels of THC you're allowed in your system when they test and so on. So, like, they are kind of, they are getting to grips with what's happening around the world as well. But, yeah, I think to, to lead it back to your question, yeah, I think there's there's heaps using it already. I think there are there's some there's a, there was an interesting study that Graham Close was part of, which is it kind of like spoke about how what percentage of people had used it uh, from from testing, as in from from surveys, but then also what percentage kept on using it. And they were, I can't remember the figures, but they were quite like you know very suggestive that the people who had used it, a good percent continue to use it. So. For me, that's a, a good indication of, of where we're at, as well as our, our customer base and the feedback we get from them. And when people are, are coming to take it, what are they looking for? Sometimes it's, oh, is that going to cure my sleep? Is it going to reduce mm. my stress? What, what are the biggest things? And kind of, even if, if we started taking it, what would mm. we maybe, would we notice much? How long would it take for us to notice something? And kind of what would be the, the things we might start to notice? Yes, when we've done surveys, like the biggest three common things are, uh, anxiety, sleep, and pain. Different people will market those three things very differently. So some will, you know, some will really push it to be like, you know, cure everything and so on. I think we're we're quite realistic in terms of, but also we're, we're quite sensitive in terms of what we can and can't say because it is a it's a food supplement. So as by law, we you know it is a we can't make medical claims on it. So, but I think yeah, like I say, from from surveys and from customer feedback. Uh, it is. It's very much based around anxiety, sleep, and pain. But I think in terms of if you if you take it, like we always recommend, you take like start low on on a low dose uh, and and build from there and, and kind of find your find your uh, optimum sort of um, I guess point. Uh, and I think for me, I'll, I'll use it for sleep, and I will f- I will feel calmer in the evening after taking it, and therefore off the back of that. You know, as as athletes, you're you're constantly told, you know, you get your good sleep, you 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 recover well. So that's sort of my my viewpoint on it. And um, yeah, I, 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 we're being we're quite sensitive in terms of what we can and can't say. So apologies, I, I can't go too much in, into that more, to be honest. <laughs> but building, even building on that, the thing we mm. love about four or five is that you don't push it. You, it's kind of a try it, see what you think, you'll understand Mm. when you get the benefits. If we were to fast forward five years from now, where would you love to see the company go, your experience in the company? 
Yeah, like, like we've had some really good growth, and we're now at the point where you know we're we've got like seven or eight employees. So like we're actually responsible for people, uh, which is quite scary. Uh, you know, and when you know when you're not like doing employee reviews and so on, like you do you do realize you know there is we've got we are building something quite nice. Uh, I think a year and a half ago we looked at uh, we started looking at nutrition as well. So just recently we've we've now become the official wellness partners of uh, of Saracens uh, men's Saracens women's and and the the Mavericks, which is the Saracens netball team. Uh, as well as uh, Leicester Tigers uh, team as well, but we are, you know, in the by end of the year we'll have a, a fair few other sports clubs within within a few different sports as well. So like we are, we're building that side. We've just gone into four hundred boot stores with our nutrition range, um, as well as like on Next, uh, Amazon, and, and and so on as well. So like we we are we're growing some really nice partnerships i think the best thing there is they they recognize actually that the quality of the nutrition is is better than the the quality of, that they're currently getting so for them it's a bit of a uh, it's been an easy enough push i'd say but i think wh- where do we want to go to in in the next two or three years i think more retail so we've got some some more things in the in the pipeline in terms of large retailers but yeah, we want to we want to be a, a, a very good, active wellness wellness brand, uh, and I think you know a large side of that will be our CBD because uh, that's kind of where our, our roots are. But definitely, I think going forward, you know, we'll be expanding our, our wellness range as much, looking to be taken as, as seriously as, as possible. I guess with you know some some very good professional clubs taking us on board for you know their their wellness partners and and kind of pushing that that angle. For us, it's ridiculously exciting. And it's yeah, something we're very passionate about. Just said the word there. We were just looking at each other and say that's really exciting. Like on the cusp, you know, on, on a mm. wave. What what are the challenges with it? Because it seems to be really accelerating. We've come across it a while ago. Yeah, what are the challenges? <laughs> it doesn't. It sounds like everything you're doing at the moment is okay. Um, but when you're scaling, especially scaling rapidly, and the product is good, and you're trying to retain quality and make sure you're putting it where you want to put it and that you're happy with where it's going. What are the challenges? Because you're you're starting to get into a lot of places now. Like me and Dom obviously lack business experience. Like uh, we've been doing it for three years now. So we, but we lack like decision, quick decision-making uh, ability because like everything's got to be like thought out or spoken to by someone else and, and so on. So what well, we think we've done a, a good enough job of, surrounding ourselves with like a lot of different people in who are class in a load of different areas so instead of like so our investors we've got kind of 45 investors uh instead of having them as like five key investors we've gone okay well let's find people in different areas that we you know we know we'll need help with along the way uh and and for me that's like you know we've got uh, a, a real wild range of different investors, which you know, which we've been able to really pick their brains in, in terms of uh, you know, fill the gaps where where me and Dom don't have at the moment. Like we are learning and growing and uh, and so on, but that we found that quite a good way of almost having like an investor consultant to then sort of help us in house as well. So that's something that that is something we're aware of. Is it is is a um, is definitely a challenge, but we we think we've got a decent fix on that. Um, we're now at the end of sort of start startup phase, and we're now into like scale up phase. So again, there it's like, well, it's, it's hiring, it's uh, it's it's like team management and making sure that everyone's account you know accountable, but also feels like part of the culture. 
th- those are all sort of things which we have some experience through through rugby and sort of managing different I don't know like sections of of a team or so on. But it is like it is just wildly different in in, in some areas as well. So that's a tough one. Almost trying not to like to, to keep to one one direction. I think is because like, we obviously we will get a few uh, a few things like come come in on our plate and sometimes because it's because it comes to your plate you're like oh well, let's do this let's do this for us it's like having the discipline to to try to stick to our business plan is something which again we get distracted by shiny objects so um, we we often need to be told look we're like stay in our stay in our lane effectively and and, and continue with with you know the, the set out sort of goalposts going back to on the pitch. And you're talking about investing in the right people, without mm. saying without saying Dom because that's a cop out. What's the best second row you ever played with or against? Best <laughs> um, second row. I mean, like Marrow would be would be up there. Uh, I think like he, he's he's a clear candidate. Um, I think he's like he's an all round package. I think he's he's brilliant. Um, I've really really enjoyed playing with Will Skelton, who for me just offers like. He's the sort of person you could build like certain stuff within teams around uh, because he's just abnormally large. Uh, he is a big boy, <laughs> big, <laughs> you know, and he can put in a real decent sixty-minute shift, um, and, and you'll get like, you know, the, you get some huge moments out of him. I think that's, I think the ability to just have something so different, like he's hundred, I don't know, forty kegs maybe on a good day um but he and he's like six six eight or six nine or something so he's he is huge and you can like you can use those types of players and different like you know in a very certain way and that's what I, I quite like about him uh, like i think we use them very effectively and you look at la rochelle using him ridiculously effectively now and you know i'd hope to say australia i'd love to see him play play more minutes for them yeah I, I, between those two i think would be would be the ones George, we're really grateful for your time. And look, one more question, especially for someone who's been at a top, top European club, representing his country, played for the Lions, and now building a really, really successful business that's going places, and now in Japan. What does high performance mean to you, George? Ooh, uh, consistency, I think, is quite a big thing. Um, like, I think a lot of people can do it for uh, like a year or so, or I don't know, two years or three years, but... I think if you're if you're ever going to get a group that does very very well, they have to be as a group. I don't know, eighty percent of them have to be consistent over a good period of time because you can't just learn stuff overnight. So I think it's like consistency to you know, and and probably standards like those two. If you if you even if you start off with a pretty average team, but they're like ridiculously consistent and they have high standards of like you know wanting to work hard and, and learn then you like that you will be a good team in the end it's just how long you can keep that group together and what the what the age profile of that group is so yeah I, th- I think those two things but then also like you have to find ways in which you can keep that that group enjoying it because you could be consistent uh, and work hard but like if people then start don't to stop enjoying it then like you've lost them within a year rather than you know people people's bodies sort of like breaking down. I think that mentally we're seeing a, a whole new sort of age at the moment. Um, I think 
you know, t- like T is such a big focus in teams because you can, yeah, you, if people lose their heads and you can lose them pretty quickly rather than, you know, and all the, all the effort and all the, the building phases has gone into that kind of is wasted. So I think there are more teams looking at how, you know, the culture runs, there are more teams looking at what they can do for players, even stuff like off-field stuff, like businesses and so on. Like if you can support them in that so that they've got other interests so that if they, you know, if they lose their head with rugby, then, you know, they can focus on some other bits and then, and then you know, bring it back in, then that's fine. So I, I think, yeah, a long way around of saying consistency and, and hard work, I'd say, would be the, the big things. George Cruz, thanks very much for taking the time to speak to the two of us. Glad we finally managed to sit down and have a conversation. It was brilliant. Wishing you all the very best and sure we'll stay in touch. Yeah, thank you very much. Cheers for having us on. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Sleep, Eat, Perform, Repeat, a story of high performance. This was brought to you by Howora, a whole person wellbeing company founded and run from Dublin, Ireland. Find out more at howoralife.com, spelt H-A-U-O-R-A life.com. Please rate, review and share the podcast. Some people want it to happen. Some wish it would happen. Others make it happen. The GOAT, Michael Jordan.